Hi, this is Paul, and this is Rough Draft for Sunday, where we run through the current version of the Sunday Sermon. Last week, Jesus, roaring through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus, master of heaven and earth, he disrupts the Galilean status quo kingdom. He draws a crowd, but suffers no audience capture. He stills the storm and delivers a man from legion, sends him back to the Gentiles to be a witness for God's grace. There are few terrors, however, like that of a parent in fear of losing a child. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the sea, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. There was one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. This is a terrified man facing the loss of a beloved daughter and nothing else in the world matters to him at that moment but to save his child. It's interesting that this is similar in some ways but different from John 11 when Lazarus died. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And here's the kicker. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus let Lazarus die. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And there's a business about sleeping there too. So Jesus gets the word, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her. But he goes straight away. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And you very much get the sense that, remember, Jesus sort of went out into a boat out off of the coast so people couldn't get to him. So they actually had space so they could hear his voice. And he goes to the other side of the lake and they have the storm and the demoniac. And now he's back and immediately he's sort of assaulted. This man, please come and save my daughter. Now Jesus has to get out of the boat and push through the crowd and try and get there. You can get a sense of why Jesus had mixed feelings about this crowd. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, of course, Jesus has a reputation, and he is drawing people from all over the place. And this woman only knew Jesus by reputation, but look at all that she sort of knows or assumes if I can only touch his clothes. I don't, I don't need to have him come and pray over me. He doesn't even need to notice me. If I can just get at him, then I'll be delivered. 
She had a great need and all she knew of was his potential to maybe heal her and deliver her from her burden. Now her burden, of course, was not just simply the physical infirmity, but this issue of blood meant that in a way similar, not identical to let's say a leper, she had to remain separate from the community. She had to remain, because she didn't want anyone, she didn't want to defile anyone. And so there's all this, there's all these thoughts and, and ideas and customs about touching and, and all of that. But now remember the context, people are thick and so she, of course, there's a mob around Jesus. You almost get the sense that he's trying to move through this crowd. And she is making her way through the crowd, touching people right and left so that she can just get her hands on his cloak and that'll be enough. Now, what's interesting is that, as we mentioned before, Jesus works in reverse. I'm reading the book of Leviticus with my men's group. And in the book of Leviticus, there's all these rules about don't touch this or don't touch that because you'll be ceremonially defiled. And if you even accidentally you touch a dead body or an issue of blood or something of that nature, you will be defiled. And then you have to undergo some washing, ceremonial washing, purification. And, and we talked about altars and how they worked when we talked about the beam and the, and the kings and light the beam and how... That fire is the presence of God and it's purifying and it's consuming. And so certain things could only be purified, let's say, through fire or with water or with time. But Jesus, it seems, all of this runs in reverse. Because when something that is potentially defiling, like a corpse or an issue of blood, is encountered, Jesus doesn't become unclean. Jesus heals what touches him. And, and somewhere this woman had a sense of this and nothing was going to stop her. Nothing was going to come between her and this Jesus. Once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Now, now to the disciples, this, this is the most preposterous question. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? A dozen people have touched you, but no, 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 no. Jesus understands that there was a transaction. Someone reached out to him with a kind of faith. And, and there's so much interesting speculation about the complexity and psychology of Christology in this? At what level of self-awareness did Jesus have with respect to his godhood? A power had come out from him. He felt that somehow, but it wasn't volitional. He didn't consciously decide or even consent. And, and then there's the limitation of language, which you see immediately with this, who touched me? Who touched my clothes? And the disciples were like, everybody's touching your clothes. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean by the question? Language can't sort of bear the question Jesus is asking. Now, what's interesting, again, is Peter's witness to this moment. And this is what makes the Gospel of Mark so often so compelling. It's, it's, just, a, a, it's just an eyewitness who is 
is is leaving these little things that seem incidental, but when you run the tape back, you say, oh my goodness, this is someone who watched this happen. And someone who was there, Jesus says this thing, and we're all like, what, what, what are you talking about? This isn't something from sort of the finished end of the story, someone recalling it. This is someone who walked serially through the story. Peter's witness to this moment again sort of puts us in Mary's position the night that the shepherds gather. And, and we sort of, this, this little moment of who touched my clothes and how can Jesus heal without him being conscious of it in the moment and what's on his mind and what's his, we can't answer these questions. And so we ponder them and, and, and they just sit in us and we think about it. But Jesus kept looking around and said, like, well, so shouldn't he know right away? He keeps looking around to see who had done it. Well, how would you know? How would you, how would you see who did it when, it, again, everybody's pressed against you? But the woman knows, and she's been watching Jesus. She sort of pickpocketed divinity, healing from Jesus. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her came and fell at his feet, trembling in fear because a man who can still the storm, a man who can cast out legion, a man who, even unwittingly, just touching his clothing in face, can restore her body. Such a man you would rightly be terrified by. But she also knows to she, she can't just run away. She can't. And so she comes near again. And it's me. I, I did it. And she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, daughter. This woman may very well have been 10, 20 years Jesus senior. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is one of my favorite stories. She understands, she understandably imagines that she will be punished or condemned or, or for this presumptive theft of God's grace and power. Jesus is this towering figure that his disciples fear when he stills the storm and the pig owners fear at the loss of their herd. So she quite rightly is afraid and is trembling. And what she finds in Jesus, in his diverse excellencies that we talked about last week, is the tenderness of a father's love. Now, now remember, we're in the midst of the a father's terror. Jairus has got to get Jesus to my house so, so he can heal my daughter. And now we see the father of fathers. Daughter. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She has given a word that is probably more powerful than pickpocketing the divine. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, you saw what happened. Don't be afraid. She was afraid, but she had faith and she reached out. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Keep going with me. Even though the news is grim, 
and your daughter is dead. Keep going with me, Jairus. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion. And again, this is Peter seeing Jesus, seeing the commotion. With people crying and wailing loudly. And, and as pastors, we get into situations like this more than others do often. Police officers, I suppose, do nurses and doctors, undertakers. But it's chaos and it's and, and, and people are besides themselves. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? <laughs> and again, this is one of the things that when Jesus says it, sometimes you're like, what? And if you go to John 11 with, with Lazarus, you know, Martha is angry with Jesus at being too late. And, and there too, but in that case, Jesus is sort of weeping and angry and moved. This child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. And, and, and you don't know. They laughed at Jesus in the midst of their pain, their grief, or their performance. I don't know. We can't know. We shouldn't judge too harshly. When we are faced with death, we give ourselves over to gallows humor. In too much pain to cry, we laugh or mock. Just as with the woman who pickpocketed divinity, Jesus takes no offense. He knows how we are. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand. Remember what I just said about defilement, the book of Leviticus? Touching a corpse is one of the things that defiles. Jesus doesn't work that way. Jesus won't be defiled by death. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Can you imagine can you imagine? He gave orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Give her something to eat. She's traveled a distance. She needs a little nourishment. She needs some strength. The woman with the issue of blood, that would make Jesus ceremonially unclean instead of healed. Touching the dead girl, which should have made him ceremonially unclean, instead makes her alive. He speaks to her like God spoke at creation. With a word, death must flee. It's no rival to his power, and it has nothing like his kindness nor mercy. Was she only asleep? Cover for what he was about to do? Their mocking laughter is turned to tears of joy. Can you imagine when she walks out of the room? Only that which has died can be raised. Only those who are sick can be healed. There are things in this world that shake even the faithful. 
I don't believe there is a good God because children die, someone said to me about a week and a half ago. It all looks so pointless. What good can come from such horror, evil, and tragedy? These stories set us up to imagine triumph. Isn't Jesus the kind of Messiah that will heal all our infirmities and raise all our dead? Did people not die in the time that Jesus was around? Did he raise them all? Why her and not another? Isn't this still a world where children are robbed of life and parents robbed of children through no fault of their own? Here we sit. We don't know what to say. Jesus' mission is hard for us to get our minds around. What kind of savior do we need in such a world? One who knows injustice, the terror, the power, the sorrow of death, not from the outside, but from the inside. Without the cross, Jesus would be just another wonder worker, a savior who got people out of the grip of their momentary tragedy, but didn't disrupt the entire status quo kingdom of which chronic illness and death are just part of the furnishing. Jesus was not satisfied with healing the woman or raising the little girl or how many other countless miracles and things that he did. He is going to go all the way to the bottom. He is going to go down to death itself and beat it. Not from the outside, but from the inside. And he will lift us up because we can't lift ourselves. That is Jesus, our Savior. Now we imagine a God of terror because, well, in many ways, I'm sure some of us feel like we've pickpocketed divinity. We didn't deserve what we're given. We've deserved judgment. We're not sinless. We're not innocent. Through no fault of their own, the woman had the issue of blood. Through no fault of her own, the little girl died. Who of us can say through no fault of our own? But yet he comes. And like to Jairus, when we come to the door, he says, Don't stop with me here. Come with me all the way. Come with me all the way. I want you to arise. I will get you up out of the grave. You will die with me, and you will live with me. We imagine a God of terror, and Jesus comes and says, My body broken for you. My blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me.